What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 78, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Chain Reaction. And we're an independent podcast. Uh, you can help keep the thing completely independent. We're on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. Uh, link will be in the show notes as well. Uh, your support helps keep the show going. Uh, our goal until further notice, as I said a number of times. But hey, maybe this is your first time listening. Hey, 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 welcome. You should go back, listen to all of the episodes for sure ignore our banter at the very beginning we get better but uh anyway if you don't know what we're doing it's uh zach's computing device so every dollar is going to offset that cost um and that's our project until further notice uh, uh which is great because that's how that's how it works but if you're saying to yourself oh great is this going to be one of those podcasts that put up all the good stuff in their private little patreon feed fear not friends fear not because the main show for sure is always going to be available no matter where you are. Uh, Google podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify podcasts, or your favorite podcast aggregator. And uh, even the goodies that we put in, uh, in the Patreon land, uh, we'll put on the main feed. Eventually uh, it's just that if you're in the Patreon land, you'll get them earlier. And uh, again, don't forget, I didn't check, um, uh, but you know, we didn't prep. Uh, if anybody has left an Apple review, we will do a dramatic recreation of the same. So, Zach, uh, if yes, somebody uh, has just started listening to our show and they say, uh, do I really have to go back and start listening from the beginning? Uh, but they want to know if that's actually the thing that they should do or not. How might they get a hold of us to ask that question? Well, if you want to get a hold of us and ask us if our opinion about whether or not you should start at the beginning of the podcast and just watch it from episode zero, uh, then uh, A, the answer is yes, you should, <laughs> because it's Stargate. Why not? Uh, but uh, if you want to talk to us and ask us about that, you can do that by emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Nice. Well done. Whew. Yeah. yeah, and you could also talk to us on Twitter at Stargate Walking uh, or on Facebook. We've got a very nice Walking Through the Stargate Facebook group and, of course, the Facebook page uh, where we uh, post uh, the promos that uh, David produces mm-hmm. for us every week. Um, and uh, then there's a lot of chat, chat and talk that's happening on the Facebook group. There is. Uh, they, yeah. uh, Brent, I yes. can't talk. Well, so, uh, dear listeners, it is uh, in Central Time, 7.22 by my clock here in the evening. Mm-hmm. And normally record this um, at like 9.30 in the morning. Yes. Uh, it's 10 hours later than that. Yes. And, uh, so, we're a little bit... Uh, uh, we're in the wrong era of our day for this. So, those are the mistakes that you're going to be hearing um, at least is. that's the excuse we're using today. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Get us into another situation and be like, friends, it's like it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. That's half an hour past our usual time. You're just going to have to deal with the mistakes that we have. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I did want to uh, add to the Patreon uh, thing, Brent. Uh, we haven't talked about this in a while. Uh, we do have a couple of uh, goals. The, the first goal is $75. If we can get $75 a month pledged, 
um, then we will start watching uh, the the Stargate animated series, Stargate Infinity. That's and right. And we'll have a yeah. an episode on... We'll do episodes for all 20-odd episodes of that, uh, for that. Uh, uh, so if that's something that you're interested in seeing us do, uh, some people might say, ooh, that'd be fun. Other people says, ooh, it would be fun to watch them suffer through that. Yeah, Whichever I, I way you are thinking, <laughs> if you, you, know, you can go to Patreon and subscribe and join that group there. Uh, and if we can get to $75 a month, uh, then we will do that. Uh, so that's the first goal. Um, and then, of course, mm-hmm. uh, at different levels in the Patreon, you can uh, gain some votes to vote for new episodes, the episodes that we have already done that you think we didn't give the right chevrons for and we need to yep. review it and reassess. Yep. Then you can vote for that. Which reminds me, Brent, I yes. am remiss because I need to send some emails out to our Patreon listeners, uh, and I promise that I will get that done this week for June, and all I can say is I'm sorry, but I do have a full-time job. No sweat. There you go. All good. All good. All right. So, um, with that, Brent, shall we dig into this episode, Chain Reaction? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So... This episode is directed by Martin Wood. This is Martin's last episode of, as a director this season. Mm, okay. uh, this is his seventh one. He did Small Victories, which was the first episode in the season. Then he yep. did Upgrades and Divide and Conquer and Watergate and Scorched Earth. And last week he did The Serpent's Venom. And this week he's mm-hmm. back with Chain Reaction. And we bid him adieu for the rest of this season. But mm-hmm. don't worry, because the guy who was always with Siler with a really giant wrench will be back <laughs> in season five and I keep, following. I keep forgetting to look for that because uh, Siler was in this one a few times. He was prominently featured. Yes. You know, um, uh, I always look for him and I usually miss him. Uh, and then when I watch the commentary, I find that find usually if he's on the commentary and he's he's talking about it he'll point yeah. out there he is nice uh in this situation it was relatively early on when uh carter and the team was walking through the hallway going up to general bauer's office uh mm. for the first time that they're actually going to like talk to him and meet him this is after he walked in and says hi bye <laughs> very so, very yeah mm-hmm. we'll get into it yep yep uh, the teleplay for this episode is by Joseph Melozzi and Paul Mully. This is their fifth episode this season out of seven. Mm-hmm. They did Window of Opportunity, Scorched Earth, Point of No Return, and The Curse. Mm-hmm. And they're back here with this episode, and they've got two more coming up this season. And then lots more afterwards. Gotcha. Uh, we do have several guest actors worth uh, noting in this episode, we have a return of Tom McBeath as yep. Harry Mayborn. Mayborn. Uh, so welcome back, Tom, and welcome back, Harry Mayborn. Uh, we have Florida. a return sure. of Ronnie Cox as Senator Robert Kinsey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, of course, showed up uh, in Season 1 episode Politics, which was one of those handy-dandy clip shows. Uh, which Brent yeah. loves so much. Mm, uh, but uh, we have not seen Senator Kinsey uh, since that episode, and so we welcome him mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. here. Um, yeah. 
In both cases, both uh, Kinsey and Mayborn, or Tom McMeath and Ronnie Cox, we will see them again in future episodes. Okay. Uh, hopefully that wasn't a spoiler. Eh, that's not so bad. Nah. Okay, so we do have then also Lawrence Dane. Uh, he played Major General Bauer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is what it says about him on IMDb. Lawrence Dane is an exceptionally fine, versatile, and shamefully underrated Canadian character actor who's equally <laughs> adept at both comedy and drama alike. <laughs> Tall and lean, with silver-gray hair, a gaunt face, and a distinguished air about him, Dane is often cast as smooth business executives, physicians, police officers, and stern authority figures. Huh. Born on April 3rd, 1937... In Maison, Quebec, Lawrence grew up in Ottawa and initially took acting lessons in order to overcome shyness. You think, you think he wrote that? No, actually, he didn't. Really? Uh, if he did, if he did, uh, then he was using a username for IMDb <laughs> that is not clearly his own. <laughs> I know. I will write my own review. There you go. Uh, so, uh, Dane's first acting credit came in 1959 uh, in the TV show The Unforeseen when he played the character of Granz. Mm -hmm. Now, when he was playing this character and early on his in his career, he was using a stage name Larry Zahab hmm. and not Lawrence Dane or Larry Dane. Uh, he used Zahab there uh, through the early 60s, according to IMDb. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, some of the other notable shows that he's been a guest on include The Saint, Bonanza, Mission Impossible, Airwolf. That's Airwolf, Airwolf. 1, not Airwolf 2. We've talked about Airwolf 2. Yeah, uh, yep, we have. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, The Red Green Show, Kung oh, Fu, The nice. Legend Continues. Hey, nice. It returns. And yep. La Femme Nikita. Uh-huh. Uh, since it's Kung Fu, the legend continues. For those of you who are brand new to the podcast, uh, we learned early on that there is a remarkable connection between the actors and directors of Stargate in the yep. early seasons and also this uh, 1990s TV show, Kung Fu, the legend continues. Yeah. And uh, Lawrence Dane was in an episode playing Cybert, uh, hmm. on the episode Out of the Woods in 1994 of Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. Gotcha. Uh, Out of the Woods is uh, summed up like this. Peter and Kane vacation out in the woods when a party of lost hikers ask for their help. Kane guides them to a shelter where they come face to face with an escaped convict and his murderous sons. Ooh. <laughs> oh, no. Ooh. Oh, no. Uh, I suspect... That Lawrence Kane, Lawrence Dane plays the uh, escaped convict. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't Stern know that for a fact. Figure. I was trying to look and try to figure it out, but uh, I can't tell for sure. But I think that's that's where he was in uh -huh. the episode. Uh huh. Uh, and this is Lawrence Dane's only Stargate credit. Mm hmm. And then, of course, we also have Patty Allen, who plays Mrs. Kinsey, the. Uh, Intelligent wife of a senator. Mm hmm. Well, sort of. Okay. 
So, yeah, sure. Okay, anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Patty Allen's filmography on IMDb has 88 credits. Most recently, eight episodes of a TV show, Supergirl, on the CW. Oh, nice. Um, that said, besides the credits themselves, I really couldn't find any information about her. Uh, the IMDb hmm. says, Patty Allen is known for her work on Stargate SG-1, the 4400, and the Killing Game. Oh. Hmm. Okay. But... So there you go. Um, her first credit came in 1988 in a short film called Bombs Away. Okay. Aside from the title of that, I found out that it was about 18 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That's all I could find about it. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> do, you think it, uh, did, did, do you think it did well? Or did it... Uh, uh, I suspect it, it was somebody's final project for college or the master's program do you think it bombed so this episode aired on january 5th 2001 do you see how i uh skirted that explosion right there you just avoided that one you're just like we're just gonna go over here now (laughs) over here because there's radioactive particles over there we don't want Uh Uh uh-huh uh-huh yeah so uh in any case this episode aired on January 5, 2001. This is the first mm-hmm. Stargate episode in the 21st century. Yes. The way it's actually yes. numbered, not the way people think about it. But that's okay. There it is. Yeah. Um, you'll notice that there uh, has been about a, a three-month break. I think the last episode aired in the late ends of oh, September. Yeah. So this yeah, was right. their mid-season break, and this is their return. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., they were listening to Independent Women Part 1 by Destiny's Child. So shame on me for not remembering. I know for a fact that the second that I am queuing this up in the background, it's going to be like, this song! I remember this song, but I can't think of it this very second. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know this song at all. You'll uh, rem- yeah, I guarantee you'll probably be like, oh yeah, that song. Oh. Oh! Right. Have you queued it up already? Oh yeah, it's been playing this whole okay. time. Okay. That song. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now I get it. I understand it now. Okay. There it is. There it is. So, as you fade that one out, Brent, yep. um, mm-hmm. I'm going to invite you to fade in the UK number one in the charts for the very beginning of 2001, Can We Fix It? by Bob the Builder. That, uh, and I'm, I'm a, like, are you serious? <laughs> like, I am dead serious this is what it said on the internet can the internet can't be wrong yes we can um why was this the number one song in the uk i have no idea but normally i just type this stuff in and i don't bother actually listening to these things but because it was bob the builder i had to go and look up the youtube clip for yeah the the, uh the uh music video for Bob the Builder Can We Fix It and it just made me giggle the entire time because I mean like it's yeah. Bob the Builder <laughs> it's Bob the Builder um that's so interesting I wonder so part of me is also so you know I mean like as we keep ticking towards uh, forward in time now that we're in 2001 you know my brain is going into an ominous day in uh the very late uh summer um but I think mm, that there was mm-hmm. also an ominous day in London, like the tube got bombed, but wasn't that like in the summer of 2001? Oh gosh. I can't remember. 
I can't remember. But but that's why I'm sitting here like maybe can we fix it as like that, right? You know, like something happened and, you know, like it became a sort of a theme to to, I, I, to, to talk about that stiff upper lip. What was the I don't think that's what this is. This is just a children's song. It is a children's song. But why was it the and number I think, one song in the I, UK? I, I, was there a movie? Was there a movie Bob Builder at this point in time? Um that that I, I might have be. Uh, I might have to look that. that one up. Or, or um, friends, if you know why, can we fix it? Was the number one song in the UK in the wee days of 2001? Send us an email at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That's W A L K I N G T H A G H A J K T A at gmail.com. <laughs> Brent, that was perfect. Oh, yeah. Perfect. So smooth. So, you know, you just follow Brent's. Uh, <laughs> words there, letters there, and and it'll I definitely I, get to us. I think I invented letters on that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, okay. Anyway, okay. So, uh, at the beginning of two thousand one, in the box office, they were watching Castaway. Yeah, that was the number one. Uh, yep. And what do women want? Uh, that was number two. What do they want? Uh-huh. They they want, uh, uh, you know, um, I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> number three <laughs> was traffic. This is what women don't want. No. Fair, none of us want traffic. No. But no. it still was number three. Yep. Miss Congeniality okay. is number four. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And rounding out the top five is The Family Man. I don't remember so, the family man, but yeah. I don't know. It was number four number f- the week before that, oh, but this okay. week it's, the, it's gone down to number five. Okay. Um, so there you go. Um, what was happening at this point in time? On January 2nd, 2001, Sila uh, Calderon uh, becomes the first female governor of Puerto Rico. Nice. Nice. So congratulations to her at that point in time. Uh, on January 4th, in 2001, the Washington Wizards forward, although I think he was actually a guard, although maybe he was a forward in the Washington Wizards. He was a guard for the Bulls. Michael mm-hmm. Jordan becomes just the fourth player in NBA history to score 30,000 career points. Mm-hmm. He hits a free throw in the second quarter of an 89-83 win against his old team, the Chicago Bulls, uh-huh. to score that uh, marker there. There you go. And then on January 5th, a report reveals that former general practitioner Harold Shipman has potentially killed hundreds of his patients. And I wrote that down, and I meant to look more information up on that, uh, and I didn't get that done. Uh, so I don't know any more information uh, whether there's a report fact, of that right? or whether, whether he actually did it uh, or not. Uh, uh, I don't have any of the information there. I'm sure it's online available, but I didn't come up with it. So, yeah, that was what was happening at this time. Uh, we do have some trivia for this episode, Chain Reaction, Brent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Kinsey's dog, Oscar, mm-hmm. was actually played by Richard Dean Anderson's real-life Australian shepherd, Zoe. Oh! So, that's actually RDA's dog. Nice. Uh, playing Oscar. The name Oscar, yeah. however, nice. comes from Robert Cooper's dog. He's named after Robert Cooper's dog. Oh, nice. Uh, so there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, 
General Hammond's house. We get to see kind of the outside background backyard, sure. and mm-hmm. and he's kind of sitting in in a sitting area, living room, dining area. It's hard to say mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, that house is actually the same house that was used for Kinsey's house later on in the series uh, in the show. Oh, oh I see. Uh, yeah. So they used the backyard for Hammond and the front of the yep. house for yep. uh, Kinsey. There you uh, go. Which which is really kind of cool. Uh, near at the very end scene, when you have O'Neill and Hammond talking to each other, you may have noticed that they each have like a black pen uh, on their shirt or in their pocket. I sure did. Yes, uh, I did. I thought those they were cigars. are charged dosimeters. Uh, they measure active gamma radiation and are read by holding them up to oh. the light and looking through the end with the lens. Uh, and you can huh. check to see how radioactive you have become by doing that. Interesting. So, Okay. So, um, little subtle detail. That there. was well, uh, tossed in there to ensure a little bit of realism. If the gate had had that much gamma radiation going through it, uh-huh. uh, I'm surprised nobody turned green and hulked out. But <laughs> uh, 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 that's the secret, General. I'm always angry. Uh, ooh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the original ending for this episode actually had Mayborn walking free and O'Neill looking the other way. So it was basically O'Neill letting him go. Sure. Uh, but then the producers decided that, no, that actually would be out of, very much out of character for O'Neill. So instead, they rewrote it such that uh, uh, Mayborn was able to escape prison on his own without mm-hmm. the colonel's assistance. Yeah. Um, the original idea for this episode had nothing to do with Mayborn, Kenzie, or the NID. It did revolve around Hammond uh, as he was facing a court-martial for presumably having a hand in the death of an SG commander. Mm-hmm. But like many stories, it became became radically different during the spinning stage. Uh, they simply wanted to do a story that, in part at least, focused on Hammond. Uh, Don lists this episode as one of his favorite episodes, and hmm. I, that is to say Joseph Malozzi, I uh, am very happy to hear that he's a wonderful actor and a very good friend. Hmm. So that was a, a mostly quote from Joseph Malozzi that I hmm. uh, adapted as I mm-hmm. was reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lawrence Dane, who plays General Bauer, uh, was uh, the runner-up to play Hammond. Uh, they ah. auditioned uh, Don S. Davis and Lawrence Bauer, Lawrence Dane, and eventually went with Davis for the part of General Hammond. Gotcha. Uh, but here they have a chance to bring uh, Lawrence back. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And because uh, O'Neill introduces himself and Mayborn as Starsky and Hutch, I yes. figured we should talk a little bit about that. This is, of course, a 1975 TV show uh, about two streetwise cops who bust uh-huh. criminals in their red and white Ford Grand Torino with the help of <laughs> the police snitch Huggy Bear. <laughs> Uh-huh. They ran from four seasons from 75 to 79, starring David Soule as Hutch, Paul Michael Gla- Glazer as Starsky, Antonio uh-huh. Fargus as Huggy Bear, and Bernie Hamilton as Captain Dobie. Hmm. So. There you go. There you go. Just a little bit there. Um, we do have a couple of goofs that are worth mentioning. Um, mm-hmm. When the bomb is being prepared, we see two, a couple of standard gas cylinders. One is labeled hydrazine, and the other is liquid oxygen. The liquid mm-hmm. oxygen is a cryogenic liquid that boils at 
minus 362 degrees Fahrenheit and must mm-hmm. be stored in a proper container. If there were locks in that cylinder, it would have been covered with a very, very large, thick layer of frost. Yeah. Gotcha. So there you go. Not real big deal, but uh, there you go. Yeah, but you know. Um, and of course, the browser uh, address in the field when uh, Mayborn is on Findorama and the login there uh, shows that it's not actual an internet page, but just a file on the computer hard drive, which that's um, is not surprising. Zach, that's pronounced that's pronounced Findorama. Findorama. Find. Oh. Findorama. Hmm. Okay, but uh, okay, yeah, fine. I noticed that too. I, I because you know me, I'm just all right. Fine. I'm just the, I'm a giant computer nerd, and well, yep. Actually, no, um, there are far larger computer nerds in the world than me. But anyway, I did notice that that was like a you know sitting on the hard drive. But you know, hey, hey, was there for uh, a second? It and then is gone. worth noting that uh, Tom McBeath knows very very little about computers. He's not a guy who actually uses computers much in his hmm. daily life, or mm-hmm. at least in 2000 he didn't. 2001. Uh, he huh. didn't. Uh, and so um, most of all of that uh, lingo that he was using at that point in time about firewalls and bulletin boards yep. and the like. Yep. Uh, he had no idea. Eh? He really didn't know what he was talking about. And also, if you look carefully as he's typing on, you know, he's like, he's like getting ready to uh, fry the computer, right? And he's yep. just kind of sitting there going, click, yeah, well, click. He's, I mean, he's, he's, he's really not the doing drive. He, <laughs> he, he's not even going. Nope. No, like, he was, like you would normally see people do. <laughs> we'll get into it. All right. So <laughs> uh, that is what I have to say about the trivia and the goofs and such. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, Brent, I'm going to hand the reins over to you yeah. for the synopsis. Yeah. Because uh, guess what, friends? I got to write it this time. So here we go. Alarms blare, and General Hammond rushes into the control room, wanting answers. Is our world about to be infested with gigantic mosquitoes that turn Teal'c into a cocoon? If only that were true. In what they refer to as foreshadowing, the SG-1 team unconvincingly trot away from certain doom at the hands of an enemy who brings new definitions to the word inept. On paper, Hammond violated procedure in prematurely opening the iris, but the SG-1 team is thankful for it. However, it appears that this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Hammond is retiring effective immediately, or as soon as his office is packed. The team is stunned. Roll title card. Colonel O'Neill attempts to convince Hammond to reconsider, and in the process, fishes out some information that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Hammond is not known for his squeamishness when it comes to the safety of the people under his command. Though he cares for his people, he has previously shown on multiple occasions that hard choices sometimes must be made. Why the sudden change of heart? Alas, there is no convincing that the general retired. SG-1, but no... Wait, wait, I misread that sentence. Oh, yeah. Alas, there is no convincing the general retired. SG-1, but no one else, get to say their goodbyes in their own way. Major Carter gives him a big ol' hug. Dr. Jackson gives him a stilted handshake. And Teal'c provides us with a charming anecdote of the culture of Chulak. Oh, that Teal'c. He's so funny. The SGC (laughs) is then put under the command of Major General Henry Bauer, a man of few words, but of swift action. 
In a character development that will make your head spin, he volleys a joke when he overhears Carter criticizing him, giving us a moment to think that we might have judged a little too quickly, followed up by his apparently truer side, that of a ruthless military leader who will quickly turn the SGC on its head. He divides up SG-1, putting Teal'c in SG-3, Jackson behind a desk, and Carter to oversee the development of a new Naquita-enhanced bomb. O'Neill, after complaining, is asked to take a vacation and rethink his insubordination. O'Neill goes to see Hammond, who insists it will just take time to get used to Bauer. But after much coaxing from O'Neill, Hammond reveals that he was forced to retire by the NID, who threatened him by kidnapping his grandchildren, though returning them unharmed. Meanwhile, at the SGC, Teal'c and SG-3 go to a ghoul-wild-held world on P3S-452 to gather more refined Naquita for the Doomsday Machine that Carter is now working on. They return with Lieutenant Morrison wounded and Major Wade dead, but a sufficient amount of Naquita. Bauer doesn't care about the casualties. O'Neill then goes to see convicted yet still retaining the rank of Colonel Harold Mayborn behind bars. O'Neill wants Mayborn to help reinstate Hammond and shake the NID. Mayborn needs time and access to his incredibly sophisticated intelligent network to make it work. O'Neill will have to pull one very big string. Quid pro quo, Clarice. I mean, quid pro quo, Jack. Mayborn takes O'Neill to his apartment, currently purchased off the books, where they would hopefully be able to procure information from Mayborn's computer. Mayborn shows his stripes as a top-level operative in an organization so clandestine it makes the CIA look like your local public library. He pulls out a 2.5-inch floppy from the freezer coils of his dorm fridge and pops it straight. What? It's a three-and-a-half-inch floppy drive, floppy disk. I thought it was, oh yeah, five and three. Uh, Oh yeah. Well, it's been a while since I've used one. Anyway, he pulls out a floppy from his freezer coils of his dorm (laughs) fridge and pops it straight into the disk drive. No thawing needed for a man this ice cold. He was in a hurry, so he didn't put on his hacksaw sunglasses, but you know, hey. Oh, what, what dastardly occurrence is this? Mayborn's access codes have been removed. He'll have to (gasps) hack his way in through the back door. And by hack, he means try to brute force his way in with another username and password. And by back door, he means the login page. (laughs) Several minutes and countless attempts later, a black ops team with mini Uzis and MP5K submachine guns burst in. O'Neill and Mayborn barely managed to escape through a hidden door. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Carter finds out that the test planet for the Naquita bomb has life on it. General Bauer acknowledges this, but also notes that there are that there is no sentient life within 50 miles of the gate. Uh, after the 51st mile, though, nothing but housing developments. But this is an <laughs> acceptable risk. Carter warns the general that the bomb's yield and effect are unknown, and it could endanger the SGC by sending radiation back through the open wormhole. The risks have been analyzed and deemed acceptable. End of discussion. The bomb is sent by a MALP to the planet with a secondary observation MALP following. 
Daniel bursts into the gate room, warning Bauer that the planet contains Naquita in the soil, which will amplify the effects of the explosion. Carter realizes that this is why the planet was chosen in the first place. Many Gould strongholds are laced with Naquita, and utilizing this fact may be to their advantage. However, in this case, it may cause an explosion that would consume the whole planet with all those housing tracks. Bauer insists that if this happens, the Stargate will be destroyed and Earth will feel no effects from the bomb. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, O'Neill and Mayborn now have to blackmail someone important within the NID in order to get what they want. They go to Senator Robert Kinsey's house, the politician who almost had the SGC shut down. However, their stunning plan of show up uninvited and be invited into the study where his computer is works. O'Neill holds Kinsey at gunpoint while Mayborn accesses his browser history. At the SGC, the bomb is detonated. Exactly as Carter expected, the bomb starts a chain reaction and the explosion destroys the observation map. The planet is destroyed. But the Stargate is not. The energy from the explosion provides it power, keeping the wormhole active and transmitting deadly radiation through the Stargate back to the SGC. Carter orders the iris closed, but it will not hold forever. Carter urges the now-in-over-his-head Bauer to order the evacuation of the base. Untrue to character, Carter forgets about the liquid nitrogen trick that they employed to keep Silcar at bay when he was superheating the iris back in the episode of Serpent Song. By the way, an episode we covered almost exactly one year ago today. Oh, cool. Fun fact. Yeah. Anyway, at the security station on level 16, Teal'c, Daniel, Carter, and Bauer monitor the great room. The great room. The great room, Zach. I meant the gate room, but you know, hey, it's a great room. It is a great room. It is. Carter explains there is still a chance that the wormhole will collapse after the theoretical 38-minute limit. Otherwise, the radiation will melt through the iris, and even if they were able to engage the self-destruct, the Stargate would almost likely survive. And with the planet on the other side turned into a ball of plasma, able to generate the gate for months, even its burial under a mountain wouldn't stop the radiation. Meanwhile, in Senator Kinsey's house, Mayborn has succeeded in accessing 4chan, I mean, accessing the NID sites. Over threats and curses from Kinsey, O'Neill figures out that the password must be Oscar. So clever. The name of Kinsey's dog. They get the information that leaks Kinsey to numerous illegal NID actions, including Mayborn's Area 51 operation, the Russian operation from the episode Watergate, and most important to us, the blackmailing of Hammond. O'Neill delivers his offer. Reinstate Hammond, or he'll give the information to the press. Unfortunately, the NID just rolled up to the front door. While they don't dare come in with Kinsey's party guest downstairs, O'Neill and Mayborn have no way out. There is a tense minute at the SGC when the 38-minute window arrives, but passes without the gate shutting down. A complete husk of a general declares uh, there to be no point in remaining and starts to head towards the surface. The team follows him. But Teal'c turns and stays just one moment more. At 38 minutes and 34.12 seconds, the gate deactivates. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Senator Kinsey exits the house with O'Neill and Mayborn accompanying. 
NID personnel are prevented from moving to apprehend the pair by the press, who O'Neill, whom O'Neill, who or whom O'Neill called to create a diversion. The press quiz Kinsey about his presidential ambitions, and Kinsey launches into his usual politicking, while O'Neill and Mayborn get away. The NID personnel are so stunned at this brilliant maneuver, they're locked in place, unable to pursue. Later, back at the SGC, Hammond is reinstated. He thanks O'Neill for what he's done and asks how he can ever repay him. Suddenly, the red phone rings, but the intended recipient of the call isn't Hammond. It's O'Neill. How does the caller know that O'Neill is in the room at that moment? Further, the call is from Mayborn. You see, Mayborn emailed a copy of the incriminating evidence to himself and used it to get transferred to a prison with reduced security, from which he escaped. He is currently on a Caribbean island, but he must be going. He's about to have an old friend for dinner. Uh, no, that's not it. Um, O'Neill hangs up the phone and tells Hammond that one day he would like the general to buy back his soul. Meanwhile, on the unnamed island, Mayborn is busy having a good time, dancing through the fade to credits. The end. The end. So, Brent. So, Zach. Oh, shoot. Okay, so yes. So, Brent. Oh, <laughs> I, I think that there is just enough of a delay on our uh, phone call that uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Oh, it, I'll line up the audio and, uh, you know, people will be like, wow, that's actually all right. But, you know, that's because we're consummate oh, yeah. performers, Zach. Consummate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, Brent, um, would you like mm. to talk first or should I? Uh, I, um, I think you should because my opinions of this episode were pretty obvious as I was writing up that synopsis, which was something that I was intending to do. So go okay. ahead and give me a high level. What, what are your high level thoughts? Okay, so I'm going to start off by saying, Brent, I like this episode. I think this is a fun uh -huh. episode. Um, okay. It, it, it works for me, this episode. Uh, I will agree. You mentioned at the beginning of your synopsis that at the very beginning, after the fire, shots are fired, they kind of the music swells and they walk through the gate and they're all happy-go-lucky and there are all of a sudden the shots and I get that. I was like, well, that's weird. They they should be doing something a little bit less, uh, you know, sauntering through the gate if they're under that much fire. Um, yep. But, you know, hey, we'll go with it. Um, uh, I, I think this is a, an excellent episode for Hammond. It really kind of highlighted Hammond in a way that uh, uh, didn't, that that hasn't been the case in at least a long time, if ever yet. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I really enjoyed that. We get to see Mayborn back, and they get to come back, and they get to walk through, uh, and, and they kind of have uh, this little adventure uh, to get Hammond reinstated. Um, I, I enjoy the idea uh, of Mayborn and and O'Neill being forced to work together. Uh, for this, uh, there's a development in that character there. Uh, then you get Kinsey back, and Kinsey is a great person to hate. Uh, and Ronnie Cox does a tremendous job of playing a character that is just really easy to hate. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you get lines like, uh, 
given the chance, ha- less than half of the American people were will actually vote, and those that do don't know what they're talking about. Uh, and then O'Neill's quip right after that, uh, well, that explains why you got elected. Um, just mm-hmm. <laughs> lines like that are, are just, they're funny uh, to me. Uh, and and I just, just get a giggle out of it. And, uh, you know, it, it's actually kind of a, a brilliant solution at the end there, um, you know, with potential ramifications uh, that, that could be detrimental in the future. But... Uh, uh, you know, if you needed to walk out of a room, the you know, the house that, that's got a big party in there, uh, how you do that? Uh, well, you get the press involved. And uh, then that forces Kinsey to not let his goons take out uh, O'Neill and uh, Mayborn at the end. Uh, the fact that Mayborn escapes and gets to go to a Caribbean island and dances into the sunset uh, is a fun way uh, to end the show, um, you've got, you know, the, the Patsy Bauer coming in uh, the just show the radical opposite of who uh, Hammond is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it actually helps to answer the question of how does O'Neill get away with all of the stuff he gets away with? Because normally you can't. Um, right. And he gets away with it because Hammond is just that cool. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, also you get this idea, you know, Hammond, you know, you mentioned it in, in the the synopsis that, that, that Hammond, he's been through a lot with this uh, in, mm-hmm. in his career and all of his stuff. So, you know, he's made the hard decisions and he's capable of making the hard decision. And even a hard decision with SG-1 should not be enough to get him to make this decision. But he makes right. the decision. Um, and when we learn why he makes that decision, it makes sense. It's only uh, somebody, you know, attacking his family, attacking his grandkids like that and threatening them in the way they did that would get him to step down. And that makes sense for the character that he would do that. Um, and uh, then, you know, the appreciative quality that he returns at the end of the episode, you know, what do I owe you for this? Well, you know, uh, hold on to that marker. I may need you to buy back my soul later, uh, oh, yeah. which mm-hmm. is, is wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the the story of the episode is about uh, Mayborn and O'Neill and and trying to follow that line to get Hammond reinstated. Uh, the B story with the chain reaction and the Nakoda bomb um, is uh, important. It's certainly, I'll grant you that it's, it's played as the B story. Um, you know the develop the you could have told an entire story of how SG three and Teal'c uh, got the Naquita, um, right? Because you know that was a big deal to get that. Um, but uh, you know it's just kind of a oh there it is and they oh but well one guy died and one guy's injured and Teal'c's a little bit torqued off and kind of walks away, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny to me because Tilk's like here blah 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 and he walks off and you got Bowers like oh I'll talk to you I'll get your report later and Tilk completely ignores him um, yep. makes me wonder if Tilk ever actually writes that report um, <laughs> good question right uh, you know so um, the the 
you made a quip about the the liquid nitrogen and whatnot when uh, 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 Sokar was doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I recall correctly, when Sokar was doing his thing, it was predominantly just heat, um, and they were heating up the the, and it wasn't radioactive. Uh, so there wasn't the danger of uh, radioactive poisoning uh, that there was in this situation. So I will give Carter a pass on the let's shoot it with liquid nitrogen uh, because anybody shooting it with liquid nitrogen is going to be dead shortly thereafter with as much gamma radiation as they would have experienced there. Uh, so I'll give that a pass. Uh, likewise, it's also the B story. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've seen stories where they have had to struggle with that. Uh, you know, if that had gone on longer beyond that, uh, Carter, no doubt, would have come up with another plan to do it as Bauer goes and, and cries in the corner like he was going right. to. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, there was... You know, the possibility was that after 38 minutes it would shut down, uh, and it did, um, and we're lucky on that. Um, but again, that wasn't the story, so I will forgive that. Uh, the character, the the dialogue was really good uh, for me. I just enjoy this episode. Um, it, it's great to see good. Kenzie back. It's great to see Mayborn back. Uh, mm-hmm. It's great to see the the relationship between O'Neill and Hammond develop and grow, uh, and see more of Hammond. So, um, what about you? So, um, this is going to be one of those episodes where we have strongly divergent ideas about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I did not like this episode at all. Um, oh boy. Th- the the things the, the things that I did like I mean there's there there were parts that that I did like uh, again you know the the actors playing the characters are they're practically flawless right now I mean like there was nothing about any of the main actors or the main guest actors playing their characters which was which was uh, which was off the mark uh, my little quip about you know untrue to character Carter doesn't think about the thing. Um, I was dropping a hint as to the, what, you know, what the thing is that I actually didn't particularly like about this episode, but let no one say that, uh, I think that the actors are doing a poor job or that, um, any of the professionals who work on the show on the regular were doing a poor job. I mean, the thing was, sure. the thing was, the thing was, was fine as far as a, as a, as a, uh, you know, a structure for telling story is concerned. It was, it was fine. Uh, and yeah, there was definitely a whole heap and pile of snark that I was throwing in there with the whole computer security thing part of the story. But that was because at that point in the story, for me, it was almost like it was getting pretty bad for me. And I'll just start mm. explaining why here in a minute. But it was getting pretty bad for me. And I and it was bordering on Bane level of ridiculousness. It was just about ready to turn the corner into just... You know, they're not intending for it to be farcical, but they accidentally hit farcical for me personally, the individual. Hence me making that quip at the beginning about like, is this going to be Bane? No, no, it's not quite Bane. Um, (laughs) You know, if they had thrown super soakers at the end, like I'd have been there. I'd have been like, yes, it's once again a great example of television because it's so bad. It's good. But the reason why I'm saying bad is because the story for me had too much 
how to phrase it, not quite unbelievability. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that it was unbelievable. It was that um, I wasn't convinced. This is a weird way to say it. Okay, so, so, so the clumsy way to say it is that I wasn't convinced of the authenticity of the story. And what do I mean? I wasn't buying the NID blackmailing Hammond arc. Um, on paper, it was exactly what was being, you know, it, it, it is what the A story was. I'm not saying like uh, that somehow there was not, you know, somehow the story was not, ha- I don't know what I mean. I mean, more like uh, I'm not implying that what we were shown wasn't really what the story was or, you know, somehow it was hiding the story. I'm just saying like it wasn't, I wasn't hooking in and nothing about the progression of the story was making me hook in really um which is unfortunate and then when i learn that this was intended to be a story about hammond um i'm a little cheesed because i got some hammond but i didn't really get an awful lot of hammond i got an awful lot of mayborn i got a lot of kinsey they were talking about hammond but i didn't really get a lot of hammond and so um so i'm conflicted about hearing about how uh that donis davis really likes this episode um you know, it makes me feel a little bad for bagging on it so hard. Uh, I'm sticking to my rule of I'm giving it the rating that I felt when I got done watching the episode. So, you know, I'm going to keep on that. But, you know, knowing that this was something that the actor who played the character felt was emblematic of that character's story um, should be acknowledged, uh, should carry uh-huh. weight, especially uh-huh. within the fandom, you know, for a one off watch, who cares? Uh, and for a casual viewer, nobody cares. But for the fandom, like if the actor says this is a really good episode for this character, then that should be noted. Um, but um, yeah, I, like the the progression of Bauer felt also very f- flawed um, for being such a hard nose for him to crumble that fast just didn't feel authentic. And you know, no, I'm not giving him a pass uh, just because I'm not feeling generous, which as listeners of the show have rightly criticized me, if I'm, you know, you know, depending on what I ate for breakfast, I, you know, it really depends on how I feel about the thing. But, um, you know, like uh, I didn't, I didn't particularly feel that it was very authentic for this, this, this major general, <laughs> this major general of the air force who clearly had combat experience by the, uh, back, uh, the, the background detail of, you know, his renovate, you know, the redecorated office, um, would have something go sideways pretty badly and have him just be stunned into inaction, just literally stunned into inaction such that the major standing next to him has to take command. Um, Carter being able to step up and take command, Absolutely believable, hundred percent believable. Uh, that uh, that character deserves two stars on her shoulder. Like that's for dang sure. <laughs> um, you know, and I I appreciate how the storytellers were trying to just kind of move it along. Like everything's getting turned upside down. Here is represented by this uh, by this new major general who's going to turn the whole thing up on its ear. Uh, and there's this catastrophe event, which um, completely flies into the face of what he was thinking. And in order to represent that, indeed, our heroes were right all along. We're going to have our heroes take control of the situation, which is okay. 
under normal circumstances again i you know i had i had i had I apparently i had blood sausage for breakfast so i'm like i'm angry but uh um are you uh channeling your inner hannibal my inner who hannibal lecter oh hannibal yes <laughs> Did, were you getting the references well obviously i mean the quid pro quo quid pro quo <laughs> clarice was like on the nose but then i was laughing oh, yeah. how at the end uh because you know Hannibal at well, the end of Silence of the Lambs fades off into a jungle like and I'm sitting here like watching yeah. Mayborn fade off into a Caribbean island I mean it was just like come on so well, it was intentional it was certainly a very intentional uh was it an homage uh, yeah sure we'll call it an homage um honestly I've never actually seen Silence of the Lambs so I really can't speak to that a whole lot it's a good movie it's a good movie so tense very tense Unlike yeah. this episode, see that was the other thing though too was like like for real like I've, I I view it as a particularly galling plot hole that um, the NID personnel are standing around on the lawn watching our heroes drive off without also casually getting into their car, casually driving off after them and then gunning them down like a block down the road or something well, ridiculous, I mean, right? To be fair, O'Neill and Mayborn did drive off in their car. They they came in more that they came in like four cars. Anyway, they, well, anyway, the real the real the real like meat and potatoes here I think is that um, here we are right in the middle of SG One's series run, and it is very true they are hitting on all cylinders um, almost every single episode right now, and so. Um, yeah, I definitely was not feeling it for this particular episode. However, I can see how a person at this moment, well, in the same way that I've been giving these episodes just, you know, nice high reviews all this time, just because I'm like, yay, I get to see them do a thing now. Like, um, <laughs> you know, if I rewatch probably an episode one or, two, or a season one or two episode, you know, depending on which one, I might like completely rate it higher because I'd be like, yay this is the first time I see them do blah. I mean, I remember you saying things like that, like, you know, this is where we meet blah. Um, you know, so, you know, I, and literally, and also, by the way, nobody could see it, but I was literally waving my arms in the air, like Kermit the frog when I was doing the yays just a minute ago. Oh, um, I could tell. I could tell. Yeah. Yes. Yay! Um, did it again, but, uh, yeah. So, um, I, I, I'm, I didn't. I didn't like this one. <laughs> but on the other hand, I'm not about to like die on the hill and say Zach, you're wrong. But that's that's how I was feeling. So I don't sure. know. Do you have a reaction to that? I guess I don't know. Where um, do we go from here? Well, I don't know. I'm. 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 I, I want to say I'm disappointed, but I'm also <laughs> you know not disappointed. You know, I'm disappointed in that. You know, I really like this episode, and I think this is a really fun episode and a great episode here. And I'm just kind of bummed that you don't. Um, sure. uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, throw tomatoes and call you wrong, uh, in part because <laughs> I can't possibly throw a tomato from where I am and hit you. <laughs> You're way too it's far true. away. It's, it, well, I mean, it would be pretty impressive, uh, if you could do that. that you would, know, I, you'd have to have Superman level strength to be able to pull mm -hmm. that off. And, <laughs> and, and that tomato uh, would have to be pretty powerful. Suffice it to say, I am not <laughs> Superman level strong. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it kind of bums me out, um, but, uh, you know, uh, that's all I gotta say, really, just like, um, so I hearing me 
kind of bag on it a little, but and 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 hearing why I'm bagging on it. Um, I don't mean to imply or to say defend yourself, but like, um, what about the episode? Well, so is it from your point of view? Is it that you enjoy it because it's fun? Because there's a little bit of um spycraft going on. There's a little bit of um underhandedness that has to be done in order to you know what I mean like which is a little bit different than what we're used to uh you know the the irreverency of Jack O'Neill takes a bit of a different turn with it uh you know the center of the focus oh by the way you are completely right um when it comes to why would Hammond step down like that the NID threatens his family that would be the reason that yeah I completely agree that in that respect the story got it right on the money I was a little bit like annoyed by how it kind of came about within the story or how it was kind of framed up. Um, I think they could well, have done something a little bit better with prior it, but to the show. Go ahead. Th- this mm-hmm. episode. Um, so yes, you know, you know, as I often do, I listen to what you have to say and I try to think about my reaction to the show. And especially in a situation like this, when we're, going to have different opinions on this episode mm-hmm. um i'm like okay so how much of it is this episode and how much of it is what i know about this episode and where this fits sure. into the whole storyline um i like that kind of spycraft story i like like uh to see o'neill um o'neill's darker side kind of come out there a little bit but stay under control um mm-hmm. I have enjoyed the Mayborn character from the very beginning. Um mm-hmm. at least, you know, honestly, I can't remember what I felt about Mayborn the first time I watched the first episode with Mayborn. Um you know, I, I can't remember because I don't remember there. But but the character of Mayborn, you know, I have the whole series of Mayborn. So I like that character. I think he's a fun character. And so whenever yeah. we get to see Mayborn, I'm like, this is an episode with Mayborn. This is great. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that's certainly part of it. Uh, we get to see Kinsey back again. Uh, we will see Kinsey return in the future. So I do know that this is sort of a reintroduction to Kinsey. Uh mm-hmm. Uh, as he plays a role in future things moving forward. Um, you know, so there's certainly elements of this episode that uh, continue the meta narrative, the meta story of the series that I mm-hmm. like. Um, but the the humor in this this episode just hits it. It hits for me uh, from. Uh, fortunately, we're not on Chulak from Teal'c. Mm-hmm. Just that stoic, deadpan quality. Uh, you know, it's, it's customary to sing a song of lament, and there's this just just long enough pause as we're sitting there waiting, and everybody's like, "Is <laughs> he actually going to start, gonna start singing?" singing? Yeah. Yes. And he's like, "But we're not on Teal- Chulak," and everybody, you can just kind of feel everybody's shoulders relax at that yep. point. You can yep. actually see it happening. You know, yep. from that, from the the the, the Starsky and Hutch joke. Uh, and mm-hmm. then Kinsey says, dear, that's their characters from a TV show. I'm like, oh, so you're actors. Welcome. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, she, clearly she, as, as Julie said earlier today, she was not married for her brains. Um, right. <laughs> uh, you know, so, <laughs> um, but but the humor, um, 
it, it hits for me, and and it just you know I get it. Uh, it works for me. Uh, the the clandestine NID. Uh, we learn a little bit more about it now. Um, you know how it it it's got its fingers into everything. Um, you know, so for me, it's a little bit of both. It's it's the episode itself does hit for me. The, I like this plot line. There are some holes in it, um, uh, but they they don't derail the episode for me. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I, I look past them when I'm just sitting back and enjoying the episode. It's only when mm-hmm. I start looking at it critically uh, that I even notice that they're there. So mm-hmm. uh, that just kind of bypasses it. I, I just kind of falls off the radar for me. And then, of course, there is the meta narrative. Uh, that this plays a role in that certainly influences, but it is not uh, the underlying reason for me liking the episode. Right. Sure. So. Sure. Um, well, Brent. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any other comments to share? Mm, not at this part. Okay. Then <laughs> I will ask you. Uh-huh. I, I'm really curious as to what number you're going to put here. Yep. Um, uh-huh. How many chevrons does Chain Reaction get? All right. So, um, I'm not kidding at all. When after I got done watching it, I thought I have seen I had seen the third worst episode of Stargate that I had seen. Ooh. That's how bad I was feeling about it. Not bad, like as in I feel bad, but no. That's how much I'm just like, wow. Wow. Swings and misses. Um, Talking it through definitely threw it a life ring for sure. Um, I know that my, well, okay. I know that my rule is that I give the, I give the ratings as I was feeling at the time of watching it and I stick to it, but dang it. That's our, this is our show. We can change the rules anytime we want. So um, I'm going to go ahead and let our conversation let it drift up because I, because I, because here's the, here's the, here's the real sort of like crux of it. If you say you enjoy it, that carries weight. If Donis Davis says that the episode was, a, was, was one of his favorites that carries weight. I got a feeling that Zach, you are probably more in alignment with the fandom than I am on this one. And so I'm willing to say I'm probably wrong in bagging on it so hard. So I'm going to give it three out of seven chevrons, but I'm not kidding. I thought for sure I was about to give this thing a two because I oh, was wow. not. Yes, I was have I was having problems with it. I was like, that's not really <laughs> that fun. That's not realistic. That's not happening the right way. I mean, and 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 again, I'll reiterate, it had everything to do with the story. Everything. Like every single actor playing their character did a great job. Uh, Mm -hmm. Even Mm -hmm. the guest actor playing Bauer, even though I'm criticizing G for being such a hardline general to just crumble like that doesn't seem to fit. That has nothing to do with the actor. The actor did a great job. The actor actually was pretty great at convincing me that this moment broke him. I was just not really buying that this was the moment that would break a person like Bauer. But, that's way up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I could go on for quite a while. So, yeah, so okay. three out of seven. Three out of seven. All right. Well, Brent. Um, yeah. 
I'm not going to ask you this, but I kind of I, I I am so curious as to what you think I would rate this episode after all of this. Uh, I'm not going I... to ask you to do that. I like this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. This actually probably ranks uh, up there with some of my favorite episodes. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, <laughs> um, so as much as you think the story doesn't work, um, I, I think it does. The, the story hinges on. Whether or not it's believable that Hammond would uh, walk away from the SGC because he was blackmailed against, you know, because the NID went after his family. Um, mm-hmm. It hinges on that. And yes, we don't see that event happen. Um, but that doesn't mean uh, that uh, uh, it's not part of it. I mean, it's there. So uh, that works for me. And then you've got just a fun story with great characters doing great things. Um, I think mm-hmm. that that uh, uh, Bauer was a character who basically f- uh, uh, failed upwards, which is not uncommon to see happen in all sorts of places. And Good it was point. kind of uh, shown early on already uh, that uh, he had questionable uh, skills in some of these things. So it all works for me. I'm giving this a seven. Whoa! <laughs> I can't believe you give this a three. I mean, oh, I'm glad that at least the conversation bumped it up a bit. But, I you did. know, for, for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah, it works for me. Uh, I, I, You say you didn't buy X and Y and Z and... I, I did. <laughs> so there. That's totally fine. And again, yeah. like I gotta, I, I'm very willing. I'm so interested in the predictions for this one. I'm quite certain I'm going to be the only person, <laughs> the only person who is way down there at the bottom. I guarantee that everybody thinks that I'm completely off my rocker on this one. And it's just true. It's just true. You know, I was sitting there just like, I don't know. I mean, come on. Really? No. Come on. Really? No. Come on. Like, almost the entire way. Like I said, I, I, well, had, I, had, I had a bad breakfast. Okay. Well, um, we have some predictions. Shall yes. we? Uh... <laughs> so excited. Right. I am so excited for this one. <laughs> I'm going to be so wrong. <laughs> Everybody's okay. going to rip me a new one. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going we're gonna to start here on Facebook with uh, Jacqueline. Mm-hmm. She Hi, says, Jacqueline. I quite like this episode. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the reintroduction of Mayborn and how for a character that only appears every so often, there's been a noticeable change with the character and how he is developing a conscience, even if the methods are still often questionable. All right, okay. At yeah, the beginning, yeah. I really didn't like him, but now I do. As for Kinsey, well... I don't like his character at all, but Ronnie Cox plays the role brilliantly. Yes, he does. No question. Absolutely, that's true. I also felt a little sorry for Bauer at the end because I imagined that he was always going to be a scapegoat for the NID. That I would not be at all surprised if that's Mm. the case. Uh, If things worked out, he was their way in to take over the program and then he'd be replaced by someone else. Or if things didn't work out, as was the case here, it was easy to lay the blame with him. 
Uh, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, that that's actually a good point. A lot of good point. Yep. Uh, while I enjoyed the small insight into Hammond's family life and the banter between Jack and Mayborn, I'm going to err on the side of caution and say four out of seven chevrons for Zach. Oh, my. And five for Brent. <laughs> nope. Nope. Okay. Nope. Sorry. So, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um... Kimberly says, four Hi, Kimberly. out of seven for Zach, mm-hmm. and five out of seven for Brent, because Jack and Mayborn. I, that's a, yeah, uh, yes. I was wanting, I was wanting to like it because of Jack and Mayborn, but uh, the disc out of the freezer, like, going, hacking in through the back door, like, uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, JD... Says, it's a big trope of the nice boss gets replaced by mean boss and he yep. gets nice boss back. But it's a trope for a reason. I would say five and a half from Zach and five from Brent. Yeah, yeah. So, so far, everybody is kind of putting us uh, on the plus side of middling. The plus side of middling. Yeah, and here we are at like polar opposites. Uh, on, on opposite ends of that. Yep, yep. Okay. Um. Let's see. Here we go. We've got Arnacht's here. Hi, Arnacht. Is... Uh oh, so this is a response to last week's episode uh of of uh of the serpent's venom. So we'll oh, yeah. talk, we'll toss this out. He says, Is no one going to mention that Terok, it's even spelt that way, is only one word short from being Terok Nor, that is to say, uh the uh Cardassian uh name of the space station Deep Space Nine. I didn't. Uh, uh, regarding I, I, the serpent's venom, uh, I suppose this is still a Stargate podcast, he says. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I keep my universes separate there, big guy. All right. So, you know, you know, <laughs> you know I, I, I appreciate uh, uh, what you say there. And there are some interesting qualities there. Uh, and I would be it would be kind of fun to to walk through the parallels there. But uh, honestly, Arnacht, you are the first person to have made that connection for me. So for me too. now I have something to look forward to yeah. as I look at Serpent's Venom again next time. Yes. Anyway, chain reaction. Here he goes. Yes. He okay. says it's a good episode, mm-hmm. a fun episode. Mm-hmm. It has intrigue, espionage, and more importantly, Mayborn. Mm-hmm. I predict that Zach will give it five and a half chevrons, and Brent mm-hmm. will give it five chevrons, unless one of them has a deep dislike of Mayborn, as some fans seem to have, at which point my predictions drop by one chevron. By one? But he did not foresee the drop by two, because Brent was he cranky. He did not. <laughs> um, and and, and, and that, that, that's a, that's a uh, hanging on the cliff three there. That's about to fall, but, but we'll hold on to it. Oh, yeah, it's a week three. That's for sure. It's a week three. Yes. Okay. Um, here we go for David. Hi, David. Bias buffer redacted by the NID. Oh, mm. man, I don't even get to find out what your buffer is because it was redacted? Oh, that's unfortunate. The NID is, is dastardly, by the way. They do, they, they're, 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 they're incredible. <laughs> they're incredibly encrypted, backwards compatible. They're, <laughs> So, so bad. I, 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 I will say this. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. The, the NID is this nefarious organization in the United States government uh-huh. uh, that was made up, I think, by Robert Cooper. I think he was the one that kind of came up with the NID. Sure. Um, but never was 
were the initials NID. Uh, nobody ever said what that stood for. Okay. Uh, you made reference that uh, at the end of 2001, uh, there is a rather significant event that happens in the life of the world. Yes. Uh, specifically, this country, especially. Yes. Uh, shortly thereafter, President George W. Bush decides that he needs to make a new uh, cabinet position and a new uh, office, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. In 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 this, and, and ultimately, it gets named Homeland Security. Right. For a long time, they were struggling as to what they were going to call it and how they were going to name it. But the the name National Intelligence Department Mm -hmm. was on the list of possibilities. Yep, yep, yep. And that just made me giggle. Yes, to learn that. And also shudder in fear. Yes. (laughs) Well, time for the NID to step out from the shadows. Ooh, Ladies and gentlemen, we happen to we happen to have weaponry that can defend us in this fight. There you go. Right. Powered by Nacre. so that is that is a, a, a significant detour. Let's get back to David's yes. email here. Yes, he says good episode adds a nice good guy shade of gray to Mayborn. Although okay. yes. this is not the first time that this has happened, I'd make right. him as a chaotic good at this point in time. Yeah, uh, I think Mayborn's still chaotic neutral at best. I don't think he's fallen into the good category. He yet, went but. fair, but he but in this episode he was trending toward good. I I I'll, I, I will grant you that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has his own agenda, but he is acting in what he feels is the greatest good for himself, uh, which is why I would say neutral, uh, <laughs> whether or not others agree with him. Kinsey, I'd put as lawful evil. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Uh, uh, do it my way or I will destroy you type. Uh, it's nice to see these two bad guys playing against each other with O'Neill, neutral good. Yeah, I'd buy that. I'd buy mm-hmm. neutral good there. Mm-hmm. Using both of them to his benefit. Mm-hmm. The other story of the new commander and the bomb was good, but mainly filler. They did just they did just blow up a good chunk of another planet. It, Wonder pfft. if there will be any repercussions for that. Right? Ultimately, the, oh, the reset button is pressed at the end of the episode. Mostly, it may be a while until we see any repercussions. See, see, now that's that that's a that's a strike and a negative for me that the reset button is hit. But anyway, carrying on. You know, I I, I will um uh push back on that, David. Uh, it is reset in that Hammond was there at the beginning. He resigned, and now he's back. <laughs> that's but- a reset. Yes, but the amount of things that are still in there, and David, you know about these things. <laughs> you can't claim you ignorance like say this, this Brent is a reset guy. episode. <laughs> oh, funny. Funny. Okay, so. Anyway, what does he say? He says, Brent will give it five chevrons. Good story, good character development. Oh, and no. for the four mains, <laughs> Mayborn, O'Neill, Kinsey, and Hammond, who is lawful good. Zach will give it five and a half chevrons because, I don't know, it's just a five and a half for him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This one's great. This is great. Okay, I think we have uh, two more predictions. Okay. We'll go to Caleb next. Okay, hi, Caleb. Caleb says, Mayborn is back! Mayborn's back. Exclamation point. And come on. If you're under fire, don't stand in front of the gate and look back once you've 
you're through. It, if if the Jaffa, yeah. if, if, Hello? Uh, if I right? was the Jaffa, I would continuously fire through the wormhole even after they're through and hope a shot makes it. When Carter asked General Bauer, who gave the intelligence that the gate would be destroyed, and he refused to tell, uh, could could that be a nod to Rodney McKay? You don't know anything about that. Don't worry about that. Along with O'Neill playing with politics, it was an excellent episode. My predictions are mm-hmm. six chevrons for Zach mm-hmm. and Very six close. chevrons for Brent. Not close at all. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh. So much fun. So much okay. fun. Everybody thinks I'm an idiot. So we have one more. Okay. This is from Julie. Oh, hi, Julie. Oh, Julie boy. thinks that <laughs> I'm going to rate this episode six and a half chevrons. Ooh, super now, close. Julie Julie knows that, that I like this episode. Uh-huh. And while we didn't talk about this or anything like that, you know, yeah. she knows. So yes. she also thinks that you would have liked this episode uh-huh. and she thinks that that you would have enjoyed this episode as i enjoyed this episode and you would have then just fallen head over heels for this and given this a seven chevron That's so rating. amazing okay so then then um uh, and, and wait, wait she has one more thing oh, okay this is so as, as we were talking she had slipped this piece of paper here with these numbers on here and she didn't change the numbers uh and she does add to it while i personally Zach won't say, Brent, you're wrong. You have your own opinions and they're legitimate. Julie says... I'll say it. Brent, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And she runs off. Oh. Hey. Some days you're... Some days... Some days you just... You just know you're out of sync with every... with, With the whole universe. But that just doesn't... Just doesn't negate... Doesn't negate hacking into the back door. Which is just trying Melvin and peanut butter for a password well you know yeah well so <laughs> so just no this is just proof that you march to your own drum oh boy do i ever and right now your drum happens to be broken because <laughs> you stuck your foot through the head of it and now you're tripping around landing on your nose but uh you know it made a nice thumping sound so you figured it was good <laughs> hey i like it i mean that's all that matters to me <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, okay. so much fun. Oh, gosh. I, I, I almost feel like apologizing to people. Like, No, don't. Don't. I, I mean, mean, you should, one, but don't. On one part. Okay, let's put it this way. Uh, I'm a sufficient enough nerd and engage in enough fandoms to know that uh, when one holds a completely unpopular opinion, generally, you're probably not in the right. Unless you're absolutely willing to go all the way with it, all the way, and be that guy or that girl who's doing that. Like, no, no, no. I own my rating. I'm not kidding. But I acknowledge that I probably am missing something. So, so you, you know, dear listener out there, if you think Brent is absolutely wrong, uh, this might be an episode that would be worth voting for. Force a recount. If you were a Patreon subscriber. Force a recount. Just or, saying. Or if there's anybody who did not write in who also believes that this episode just trips over itself, uh, I would love to hear from you too. That that would be fair. I, mm-hmm. that, that would be interesting to, <laughs> to see uh, how people would respond to that. Yeah. All right. Brent. Yes. Uh, it's probably time to uh, close out this chain reaction. 
Yes. Uh, I was trying to come up with a really witty thing to say there, and it didn't come to me. It's, so It's late, and we aren't yet in the phase of night where everything turns into just... Do we get punch drunk? Like, we've yeah. done recordings at, like, one in the morning, and it's just goofy. We're not, we're yeah, not there. That's true. So we're don't, don't feel bad about, like, not having, right. you know... Yeah, um, it's fine. So we, in our next episode, are going to an episode that is entitled 2010. Ooh. And I ask you... Oh, boy. What is 2010... Oh, boy. About. Did they really? Did they really try to do something nine years in the future for them? Wow. Okay. 2010. 2010. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travels through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. It seems to be a very peculiar situation in that they are, in fact, unable to see clearly as they're attempting to look through what appears to be a bit of a haze. They gaze off into the distance, and they just cannot quite get focus on that thing that's over there, or over there, or even over there. Confusingly, they keep walking around trying to gain focus on stuff, and they just never can. The ideas spin all over the place. Maybe there's something peculiar with the atmosphere of refraction. Maybe there's something odd happening with microgravities that are affecting the ability for light to travel in a straight line. They're unsure, but they do know something. Things that they should be able to see clearly at 20 feet. They can only see clearly when they're only 10 feet away. So curious. (laughs) Their prescriptions suddenly are 20, 10. Hmm. Join us next time on Stargate SG-1 for the <laughs> where everybody suddenly needs glasses in 2010. So the glasses aren't simply hipster glasses, they're actually functional glasses. Yeah, because I mean, come on. I mean, their 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 ability to discern things clearly has been cut in half. That's meaningful. Yep. You know, I I will say this. I I love Daniel Jackson. He's one of my favorite characters. Uh-huh. But they are so ridiculously inconsistent on his need for glasses. Oh, sometimes absolutely. he needs them terribly. Sometimes he doesn't need them at all. Um, and you know, sometimes he's wearing these glasses that I mean, if if he ha- those glasses are so thin that if he has any need for corrective lensing, oh oh yeah, uh, there it's it's a very moderate correction. No, we, we um, those of us who wear prescription lenses, uh, I don't know if this is a universal. I've always assumed that people who wear glasses know when they're looking at somebody else who wears glasses. They can tell if it's a if it's a nearsighted or farsighted prescription, and they can tell the strength of it just by looking. Um, yeah. And I mean, I can, and I can, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I see the stage glasses that, uh, Michael Shanks wears because he probably doesn't need glasses or he's wearing contacts, who knows what. Um, and you know, we all can tell there is literally no light refraction going through those things at all. Oh, especially, especially my favorite part is whenever the, like, you know, these actors turn their heads and the light, uh, hits their glasses. And instead of there being like a point of light, because the, like the lens is actually curved. No, it's just a sheet of glass. <laughs> See, <yeah. laughs> just big old mirrors. Just like, we <laughs> reflect all the light back. But anyway. All right. Anyway, uh, that was yet another digression uh, brought to you by uh, the uh, letter D <laughs> for digression. <laughs> uh, shall we watch the promo 
of 2010 that yes. David so kindly produced. Absolutely. I'm excited to see this. Okay, I am hitting go now. Next time on Stargate SG-1, in an idyllic future, there is peace. My fellow Americans, ten years ago this very day, a team codenamed SG-1, then working in secret, came upon an alien race. This is great. But in the future, <laughs> something has gone very wrong. Yeah, but we would know. It's happening everywhere the anti-aging vaccine has gone. What are you doing here? Oh, man, he's got a beard. Yeah. Which one? We made a few. Our alliance with you, Shen. Is there any hope for the people of planet Earth? Oh, my. We can't let them know we know. Or is all lost? Sam, you're on the inside. You don't see them the same way I do. Janet, they have done this to us deliberately. We have to do something. It's all next time. Oh, man, I'm excited. I'm excited. Oh, no, Teal'c. Oh, no, Teal'c. Oh, man, they're going to show me what the future holds? They're going to show me what 2010 was like? Is like? Will be like? We will have to wait and see until next week. I can't wait for the flying car. It looked like it was a transporter pad. Oh, my gosh. The future is so exciting. I'm so excited, yeah. Zach. Yeah, and you know, the future is a decade ago. I mean, which makes it extra convenient because now all those wonderful things are going to be things that are in real life. I'm going to suddenly be, as soon as I watch this episode, I'm going to have a transporter pad. Yeah. I just need it's to get on it. exactly like that. That's right. Because space-time continuum, obviously. Uh, obviously. Yeah, sure. That makes perfect sense. Perfect so, sense. So, uh, again... Thank you, David, for 100%. that wonderful yes, promo. Absolutely. Uh, we appreciate it a lot. Uh, thank you for those of you who sent in your predictions <laughs> this week. Uh, keep them coming. That's yes, one please. of my favorite elements <laughs> of our podcast. Mine too. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's fascinating to see, uh, you know... I enjoy listening to Brent's talk and, and, and what he thinks about the episode, but I really like to hear what other people have to say uh, about what they think we're going to say and what they think about this episode, yep. the episode that we're talking about. Yep. So please uh, keep sending them in. Uh, and by all means, if you think that this episode deserves a rewatch, then go ahead and go to Patreon and uh, uh, click on that subscribe button. And uh, like I said, if we get to $75 a month, uh, we'll start doing the uh, uh, that Stargate Infinity uh, podcast for yeah. Patreon listeners to start. Uh, and uh, yeah, tell us what you think. Yeah, nice. Uh, email us at Walking Through the Stargate. Talk to us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Uh, find us on Facebook at Walking Through the Stargate page and uh, Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Until that, I'm mm -hmm. Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.